So what kind of legacy are you going to leave when you're dead and gone? And that's what we've been talking about, leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy in your home, leaving a legacy in the world, and, and leaving a legacy through your finances. Last week, as we began, we talked about leaving a legacy in your home. And as I look through Scripture, there is no greater example, I believe, than, than the example of Timothy when it comes to leaving a godly legacy in your home. The Apostle Paul was, was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and as he writes to him, he talks about the legacy that, that Timothy's grandmother and the legacy that Timothy's mother left with Timothy. I want you to listen to what it says. In verse 5 it says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Because of the genuine life-changing faith that was found in, in Eunice, that was found in Lois, that was found in Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother, God used Timothy to literally change the world. Timothy was one of the most influential men in the first century church. He was, he was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And the letters that, that Paul wrote to Timothy are part of our sacred scripture today. Understand, there is no legacy more important than the legacy that you will leave in your home. But today I want to move from, from leaving a legacy in your home to, to building a legacy in the world. How can you and I build a legacy in the world that will not only outlast us, but will last throughout all eternity. You see, you can be the absolute greatest sports figure that ever lives. Your legacy can dwarf the legacy of, of Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali. But the fact of the matter is, one day, someday, all your accomplishments will be meaningless. You can become the president of the United States and, and you can be remembered throughout history because of, of the policies and the laws that you helped pass. But one day, someday, all of that will be forgotten. You can, can start a company that, that literally changes the world, that, that, that gives hundreds of thousands of people jobs that, that makes you one of the richest people in the world. And one day, it just won't matter. You can become a doctor. And you can discover the cure for cancer or, or some other deadly disease. But there's coming a day when all of that will be meaningless. Now listen. I'm not belittling any of those things and, and thank God for the doctors and thank God for the politicians and, and thank God for even the sports figures today that, that entertain us. But I want you to know that there is coming a day when all of those kinds of accomplishments will mean nothing because there's coming a day when this world and everything in this world is going to pass away. And everything is going to be made new. So how, how do you and I leave a legacy that will not just touch the world in which we live, but a legacy that will last forever? Now, I believe 
one of the people who have done that, one of the people that has done that to an extent that that perhaps their legacy is greater than, than any other person's legacy who has ever lived, at least a human being, is the Apostle Paul. When Paul was coming to to the end of his life, this is what he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He was writing this to Timothy. His, his son in the ministry, the, the one who, who was the recipient of a godly legacy in his home. And the apostle Paul said this. He said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. In other words, the die is cast. I'm about to die. The time for my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be able to one day say those words when When I come to the end of my life, I want to be able to say that I have fought the good fight. I want to be able to say that I have finished the race. I want to be able to say that I have remained faithful. I pray that one day I will be able to look into the eyes of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and hear him say those words, well done my good and faithful servant. Well, I'm convinced with all my heart, if anyone is going to hear those words from Jesus, it is the Apostle Paul. Now, most historians tell us that Paul was was born around 2 A.D. They go on to tell us that he died around 68 A.D. He was most likely saved around 35 A.D. And so somewhere between those 33 to 35 years between his salvation to his death, God used Paul to literally penetrate the world to the point that it was written that he turned the world upside down. By the time of his death, every part of the Roman Empire had been exposed and been penetrated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the time of his death, he wrote letters to churches that are now part of our sacred scripture. By the time of his death, he had shared the gospel personally with literally hundreds and thousands of people. And God used him to share the gospel so that lives were changed forever. And so what I want us to do this morning is look at Paul and ask ourselves, how can we leave a legacy that can change the world? Because the truth of the matter is, God can do the same thing in my life and God can do the same thing in your life that he did in Paul's life. You see, it's not the man, it's not the woman that matters. It's the God behind the man It's the God behind the woman. And so what I want to do is is I want to give you four traits that that I see in the life of Paul that I believe caused him to be used by God to leave a legacy that literally changed the world. Now here's the first thing. 
if that's your desire, and I hope it is, to leave a legacy that changes the world, you must first of all clarify your calling. In the words of Rick Warren, you're going to have to answer that question, what on earth am I here for? Why were you created? Are you here by chance, the the product of an evolutionary accident? Or are you here by design? Were you fearfully and wonderfully made by God with a purpose? Or or are you simply the product of, of, of some kind of ooze and goo coming together in a random act? Well, the Bible tells us that that we're here for a purpose. The Bible tells us that God created us for a reason. And here's the reason. God created you so that he could love you. God created you so that you could experience a relationship with him. Not because he needed it. He doesn't. He's God. He has everything he needs in and through himself. But he created you. He created me so that we could experience who he is. And so that we could know personally his love. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, in the message translation it says this. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, in other words... Long before God ever created the world, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love. Did you get that? Long before God ever made anything in this world, long before God created the heavens and the earth, long before God created the oceans and the seas and the water, long before God created the plant life, long before God created all of the animals that fly through the air, that swim in the sea, that walk on land, long before God ever created Adam and Eve, long before all of that, God had settled on this one fact. That you and I would be the focus of his love. God made you for one reason. And that is to love you. I want you to write that down. I don't want you to forget this. God made you to love you. You were created to be loved by God. God is love, and God wanted to create something that that he could love and that could love him in return. And that's why he created you. He didn't need to. He wasn't lonely. But he made you. And he made me in order to love us. And the Bible says that when he created us, he made us in his image and in his likeness. He made us in such a way that we could have this unique relationship with him that was distinct and different from all the other parts of creation. And yet, even though he created us uniquely in his image and In his likeness, the Bible says that that we sinned against him. We 
rebelled against him and that sin and that rebellion separated us from God so that we no longer had that relationship with him. I mean, the one reason that he created us so that we could be the recipient of his love, so that we could live in relationship with him, we no longer had. Why do you think so many people today have everything this world has to offer, and yet they're still empty? The reason is because they are trying to fill this emptiness, this void with with sex and, and money and power and fame and, and even religion. And yet at the end of the day, when we try all of those things, we're still empty inside. And the reason is because we weren't created for those things. We weren't created for any of those things. We were created for a relationship with God that's been severed. It's been broken because of our sin. And the only way for that relationship to be restored is through Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross as the sacrifice for our sin. He died so that we could be restored to God. That's why he came. And on the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9, while he was on his way to round up Christians, put them in chains, take them to their death, Paul met that Jesus. And it changed everything. I want you to listen. The same is true for us today. When we meet Jesus, it really does change everything. It was then and there that Paul discovered his calling. He thought that he had been called to be a a teacher, a a rabbi of, of the law. He thought he had been called to eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth. And yet on the road to Damascus, he discovered his calling. Later on, when he was before King Agrippa, telling King Agrippa about his salvation story, he said this, he said, Jesus spoke to me. And in Acts 26, 16, Paul said this. Jesus said, now get to your feet. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future right then and there. The moment that Paul was saved, Jesus spoke to him and said, now... Now that you know me, you are to be my witness and you're to tell the world, everyone, what you have seen and what I will show you, what I will teach you. Now listen, if you have been saved, you have been given that same task. You have been given that same calling. This calling wasn't for a select Few. This calling wasn't for a handful of of specific elite Christian soldiers. It was for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. When Jesus was, was about to return to heaven and he was preparing his disciples for what was next, he said, go, make 
disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus was saying that once we become a disciple, we are to go. We are to make disciples. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Something that, that happens to each and every believer the moment they're saved. You'll receive power when you were saved. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 2. He said, but you were the ones chosen by God, God's instrument to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others the night and day difference he has made for you. Understand, the calling to tell the world about Jesus is not just Paul's calling. It's my calling. And it's your calling. Now listen. There is a difference between your career and your calling. Your career is simply a vehicle that God gives you to either support or accomplish your calling. Let me say that again. Your career is not your calling. Your career is simply the vehicle through which you can accomplish or support or fulfill your calling. God may put you in the health field, but that is not your calling. He puts you there so that you can fulfill your calling. You may be in the political arena, but, but that is not your calling. He places you there so that you can Impact the world and fulfill your calling. You may be an educator, but that's not your calling. That is simply a platform for you to fulfill your calling. Until we come to the place where we realize that nothing, absolutely nothing trumps our calling, we will never touch the world. And so I want you to listen to what Paul says. He is telling King Agrippa about this experience he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so in verses 19 and 20, here's what Paul says to King Agrippa. He says, what could I do, King Agrippa? I couldn't just walk away from a vision like that. I became an obedient believer on the spot. I started preaching this life change, this radical turn to God and, and everything it meant in everyday life right there in Damascus. I went on to Jerusalem, the surrounding countryside, and from there to the whole world. Did you hear what he said? He said, what could I do? I mean, what can we do? I mean, when we experience the grace and the mercy of God, and we hear his calling upon our life to go into the world and make disciples, what can we do? Well, the truth is, it looks like many of us are simply ignoring the calling. Because you have the calling if you're a Christ follower. So what's happening? Many of us are ignoring the calling. 
I want to challenge you this morning to to clarify your calling as a follower of Christ. God saved you so you could be an instrument of salvation for others. Don't ignore your calling. Don't waste your life. Invest it in what God saved you to do, what God called you to do. Clarify your calling. You're called to go into the world and make disciples. The second thing, if you want to leave a legacy that changes the world, is this. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get sidetracked. Don't chase rabbits. Uh, Here's what I believe. If we keep the main thing the main thing, then eventually all the secondary things will take care of themselves. Amen? If we keep the main thing the main thing, sooner or later the secondary things will take care of themselves. As soon as Paul met Jesus, he started sharing Jesus everywhere. In Acts chapter 9, it says he immediately began preaching about Jesus. And he preached about Jesus in in Damascus where he was taken. He preached about Jesus in Jerusalem where he went. He preached about Jesus in his hometown of Tarshish. And then Paul ended up in a church in Antioch. And he became one of the leaders of that church. And and in that church, they were praying and fasting one day where God specifically called out Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. And so they went out. And they went out sharing Jesus. In in Acts 13, we see an Antioch of Pisidia, which is a different Antioch. We read this. Paul said, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. When he went into Iconium, he preached Jesus. He made the main thing the main thing. It says, and there he preached the good news. In Lystria and Derby, he proclaimed Jesus. In Acts 14, verse 15, it says, We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. When he went to Philippi, he kept the main thing, the main thing. He said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And your entire household. He went from there to Thessalonica. And he kept the main thing the main thing. In Acts 17 it says as was Paul's custom. He went to the synagogue service. And for three Sabbaths in a row. He used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies. And proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Everywhere Jesus went, or Paul went, he refused to be sidetracked. He kept Jesus at the forefront. Uh, Listen, there is nothing more important than sharing Jesus. Nothing. Yes, we need to go to places where people are impoverished and help them. Yes, We need to give food to the hungry. Yes, 
We need to give clothes to those who need it. Yes, we need to visit those in prison. But understand, we do everything so that we can do the main thing, which is to share Jesus. When Paul healed the sick, he did it to proclaim Jesus. Everything that we do is only a platform so that we can share Jesus. How did Paul, in a a matter of a, a little more than 30 years, penetrate the entire Roman Empire? One man, everywhere he went, he proclaimed Jesus. He made the main thing the main thing. So so what can you do? How can you do that as a follower of Jesus? Can I give you some things? First of all, you can pray. You say, well, Rocky, I'm praying. Well, I know you're praying for people who are sick. I I know you're praying for our country. I I know you're praying for, for missionaries. I know you're doing those kind of things, but... Are you praying for lost people by name? Do you have your list where every day you're bringing those people before the throne of God, asking God to remove whatever barriers are in their life to keep them from coming to Jesus? Are you asking God to remove the scales from their eyes? Are you asking God to remove the wax from their ears? Are you asking God to convict them of their sin, their need for righteousness and the judgment to come? Are you asking God to bring someone into their life today that they will listen to so that they can be saved? You can evangelistically pray. Second, you can serve in Jesus' name. I want you to hear me. If Mission Columbia ever becomes nothing more than just a conduit through which we give out food and we give out clothes, we won't do it anymore. The reason that we operate Mission Columbia is because it gives us opportunities to share the hope that we have in Jesus. And oh, bless God, they're doing that there. You can serve in Jesus' name. You can serve your neighbors. You can serve your coworkers. And and when they ask you, why are you being nice to me? When I'm not being nice to you, you could say, well, let me tell you about somebody that's absolutely changed my life. It's given me a love for you that's beyond anything that I can comprehend. You can serve. You you can invite. For some of you that sit back and say, "I, I don't think I could ever tell someone else about Jesus. Goodness gracious, are you inviting them to church? I can promise you this, if they come to church at least a couple of times, they're going to hear the gospel. So are you at least inviting people that need Jesus? So what if it costs you taking them out to lunch after church? Isn't it worth it? And then share. 
God gave you a faith story to share that faith story. Something great's happened to me. My life has been changed. Let me tell you about it. You see, we can all do that. And we can all go. We we may not all be able to go overseas. We may not, because of our health anymore, be able to to go to other places in our own nation. But but if, if you live in a nursing home and you stay in that nursing home all the time, but you go to the cafeteria to eat, you can go. If you, if you still drive, you can go. We can all do that. You see, Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. He knew that he was on this earth for one purpose, and that was his calling to go into the world and make disciples. And so nothing deterred him from the gospel. What about us? Clarify your calling. Make the main thing the main thing. Third, don't let the opposition sideline you. The fact of the matter is, everywhere Paul went, he faced opposition. From the moment he was saved, he faced opposition. Initially, the believers were scared of him. (laughs) They didn't want anything to do with him. I mean, after all, he had just been going out trying to arrest them and kill them. So they didn't want to do any, have anything to do with him. He faced opposition in the church initially. And then when the church realized that he was legit, he faced opposition in the world. In, in Acts 13, when he, he began his missionary journey, in verses 50 and 51, it says this, Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas, and they ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. From that point on, the mobs attacked Paul, stoned Paul, beat him with rods, threw him in prison. He was accused of treason. You need to understand that whenever the gospel is proclaimed, opposition will arise. That is just a fact. Whether it is here, whether it is in Washington, D.C., whether it is in another country overseas, whenever the gospel is proclaimed as the power of God unto salvation, opposition will rise up because Satan will do anything and everything to defeat the gospel that changes lives. Why? Because the power of God is found in the gospel that brings salvation. And yet Paul let nothing stop him. If we quit when we face problems or when we have disagreements or when the going gets tough... We will never change the world. We can't let opposition sideline us. And finally, if we want to leave a legacy in the world, we must multiply ourselves. 
We must clarify our calling. We must make the main thing the main thing. We can't let opposition sideline us, and we've got to multiply ourselves. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, a city where he, he went. We, we read about it in Acts 17. And he is writing to that church, and in verses 6 through 8, I want you to listen to what it says. So when you accepted the message, the message that Paul shared, the gospel, you followed our example and the example of the Lord. And because of you, the Lord's message is spread everywhere in those regions. Did you hear that? You followed our example, and because of you, the message of the Lord is spread everywhere in those regions. Now the news of your faith in God is known, listen to what it says, all over the world. And we don't have to say anything. <laughs> Did you get that? The church at Thessalonica became so radical in what Paul had said that they followed his example. They began to do what he was doing to the point that everyone in that region had heard about Jesus. And all over the world, they had heard the good news. I want you to listen. The Great Commission begins and it ends with the gospel. The Great Commission begins with the gospel as we go into the world and make disciples. The Great Commission ends with the gospel as we teach to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. You see, we are not obedient Great Commission Christians when we simply win people to Jesus. We are obedient Great Commission Christians when we proclaim the gospel, we equip people to proclaim the gospel, and they are proclaiming the gospel. That is Great Commission Christianity. It begins as we share. It ends with the people we share with sharing. Because Paul did this. His death did not end his legacy. His life and his calling continued in the lives of those he touched. And that's what God expects us to do. I feel like that at the very best, the very best, I have a maybe 15 more years where you would allow me to be your pastor. I feel like unless I blow it, I can have at least 10 years. I think you'd give me 10 years, you know, unless I get senile, which is quite possible. And so I began to think, you know, if we continue like we're doing right now, what kind of difference are we going to make? And we're going to make a difference. We're baptizing more people than, than most churches in South Carolina. We baptized the, the last several years. We're, we're the, number two in the state of South Carolina in reaching and baptizing people for Jesus. Our church is growing. If we continue to grow this year like we have, our attendance is going to grow by about 100 over last year. And that's great. It's, our attendance has doubled, over doubled in, in the last seven, eight years. That's, that's wonderful. That's great. But goodness gracious. 
If in 10 years we double and we're at 3,000 people, what difference is that really going to make? Is that really going to make a difference? It's not, is it? And we can continue to do things the way we're doing them. And goodness gracious, we can see hundreds and maybe even thousands come to Jesus. And and we can see our church grow. and, And that's a wonderful thing. But what would happen if we take our calling seriously? What would happen if we make the main thing the main thing? What would happen if we don't let opposition sideline us? What would happen if you and I as Christ followers make the commitment to multiply ourselves? Let me give you some figures. Nine years. Let's say we just start with one. We don't have any more than one. And every year, we're going to reproduce ourselves. Everyone who is saved from that one is going to reproduce themselves at least twice a year. So you win someone, you pour into them for six months. You win someone else, you pour into them for six months. And so you do that twice a year from this point on for the next nine years. Can can I tell you what that will look like? We start with one, we've got two. Then we take that two and by the end of the year we have four. Year two, we start with four and first cycle we've got eight. Then we take those eight and we've got 16. By the end of year two, we got 16. That's not a whole lot. But but year three, we start with 16, we got 32. Then we take those 32 and we got 64. That's the end of... Year three. Year four, we start with 64. We go to 128. We have that 128. We go to 256 by the end of year four. Year five, we start with 256. We go to 512. Those 512 make 1,024. That's the year of end of year five. Beginning of year six, we have 1,024. We go to 2,048. That 2,048 becomes 4,096. By the end of year six. Year seven, we start with 4,096. We have 8,192. Those 8,192 become 16,384. That's the end of year seven. Year eight, we start with 16,384. We go to 32,768. Those 32,768 become 65,536. That's the end of year eight. We start year nine with 56 or 65, excuse me, 65,000. Somehow I messed up here. 65,000. And we end, we end that year with over 130, or we end the middle of that year with over 130,000. We finish year nine with over 270,000 people. Now let me ask you a question. If we take seriously this for the next nine, ten years, Will we absolutely change our community, our state, our nation, our world? If we take our calling seriously, if we make the main thing the main thing, if we don't let the opposition sideline us and we multiply ourselves, we're committed to this, are we going to make a difference? 270,000 people reached for Jesus, reaching for Jesus in nine years? 
You get it, don't you? By the end of year 10, you're over a million. Starting with one. We got more than one in here. We're not starting at ground zero. We're not starting with one. You see, this isn't rocket science. God has given us a strategy. And if he touches our heart, he can use us to change our world. So what about it? I'm tired of business as usual. I, I know that I know that I could stay here and, and I could just enjoy my life and my ministry and, and everything could be hunky-dory. And some lives would be changed. Or we could get radical. <laughs> and we could see our state change. nation maybe even before Jesus comes the world so what about it Here, here's what I want you to do and I'm not this is not to put anybody on the spot I'm just I'm, I'm serious about this we can't continue like we are and change the world. We've got to change. And so if you're here and you're saying, Rocky, man, I, I want to clarify my calling and I know what it is now. I want to make the main thing the main thing. I don't want to let opposition stop me and I am making a commitment to learn right here, right now how to multiply myself so that we can change the world. If you're willing to make that commitment... If you're willing to make that commitment, I'm going to ask you to come and join me at the altar. And we're just going to pray because I know that when we make this commitment, the enemy is going to be against us. So we're just going to have some time of prayer. So if you're willing to join me at the altar, I want to encourage you to come right now. And we're going to come, we're going to kneel, we're going to pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to continue our service. You're not here at this altar for show. For some of you that your health may have kept you from being at this altar, but your heart is at this altar right now. You're not in your seat for show. We're here because we want to leave a legacy in the world however long we have. And we understand today what it will take. And by being here, we're making a commitment to do what it takes 
Tell God that right now. There on your knees, where you're at, tell God. Father God, if this isn't show, Father God, if this isn't some quick decision that will, Lord, wane as we walk out the door, Lord, if this is real, then right here, right now, we have the potential to change the world in, in this decade. I pray, Lord God, that you'll clarify our calling. Make it clear. Our calling is to be witnesses everywhere all the time. Lord God, I pray that we will learn how to make the main thing the main thing. We will learn how to share the gospel and pray for the lost and, and serve our neighbors in Jesus' name. We will do everything so that we can share the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that as opposition comes, and it will, the moment we walk out this door, opposition's coming. Lord, I pray as that opposition comes, your Holy Spirit will strengthen us and empower us to keep on. Because what we're doing is so important. Father God, I pray that we'll not only share the gospel and see people saved, but we will multiply ourselves. And Lord, we're making the commitment right here, right now. Every one of us who are at this altar are making the commitment that we are going to multiply ourselves. So Father, I pray that you'll equip us and empower us. So that we can make disciples that make disciples. So that we can begin with the gospel and end with the gospel. Lord, use us. My prayer today, I'm praying boldly. My prayer today is that, Father, in the next 10 years, we'll see over 100,000, well over 100,000 people come to faith in you. May today be the day that everything changes. And you use us right here in little old Lexington. To change the world. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.